Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're headed this morning as we continue our way through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, We'll be in the second half of the chapter, uh, starting in verse 11 in in just a moment. Um, So as you're turning there, the other day I was reading a story uh, about a conflict between two men. One of them had apparently done something that was pretty blatantly discriminatory toward uh, people of a certain race. And the other one uh, approached him and, and didn't just call him out on it, uh, but actually got in his face in front of other people uh, and called him a, a self-condemned hypocrite. Now, you might be wondering, you know, where, where was I reading this story? Maybe it was in the newspaper uh, just recently, uh, some, some moments where, you know, describing some of the recent protests and things that have been going on. Or, or maybe I was reading a history book and I was reading about the civil rights movement and, and some stuff that, that happened several decades ago. Um, but actually, I was reading the book of Galatians thousands of years ago. Right in, in the second chapter of Galatians, Paul tells this story of how Peter had been separating from the Gentiles. And when he heard about this, Paul opposed Peter to his face, saying that he was self-condemned, living in hypocrisy. He says, not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. You see, the gospel is meant not only to reconcile us with God, but also with each other. Paul believed this so deeply that when he encountered racism or division, he opposed it to its face. And and so, you know, earlier in Ephesians, we read that the purpose of God, God's plan for the fullness of time, was to unite all things, to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You know, last week, we we read a little bit about this this uniting of all things in heaven, right? As, As we went from being dead to being alive, God has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Well, this week, we're going to read about how in Christ, all things have been gathered up and united, even on earth, among ourselves. So today, as we continue uh, in in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to unpack this a little bit more for us. Uh, we, we read about how we have been transported to the heavenly places. Well, here we'll see how Christ transforms us into a new humanity. The gospel does not only bring us from death to life, but from hostility to wholeness. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. So then... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers 
to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So we came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word and that you have done the work to reconcile us not only to you, but also to one another. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the second half of this chapter in Ephesians follows the same basic pattern of the first half. It's like Ephesians 2 is a song, and, and verses 1 through 10 are kind of the first stanza of that song, and then verses 11 through 22 are the second stanza of that song, right? They have the same tune, but different words. And so last week, we looked at this progression from death to life to living, right? In verse 1, you were dead. In verse 4, but God. And then in verse 10, we are what he has made us. Right? You were dead, but God. And now we are what he has made us. Well, this week we see that very same pattern in the text. Except instead of focusing on that sort of spiritual life with God, it focuses on our social life with each other. So in verse 11, he begins, remember, you, you were one way. And then in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ... And then finally in verse 19, he says, so then you are. And this is the pattern that, that he follows. So I want to look at that progression throughout the passage. Remember you were, but now in Christ, so then you are. All right, so, so let's start in verses 11 through 12. 
Paul reminds them of the ways that they used to be divided from one another. He writes, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth were called this uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision. So he uses this image of circumcision to refer to their division. And circumcision symbolizes division in a couple of different ways, right? On the one hand, it's this marker for the Jewish people. So in some ways, it signifies a division between race. But on the other hand, it's also a symbol that was only available for men. And so it symbolizes a, a division between gender as well. And so as Paul describes uh, the divisions among them with this image, his audience is divided by race and by gender. Now, you know, here we are thousands of years later, and aren't we glad that these are no longer issues that we struggle with? Or are they? Right? I mean, in recent years, uh, these issues have become viral hashtags on social media that different activists use to try to raise awareness about various inequalities for women or inequalities for people of color. This year, right, we have witnessed that activism go from hashtags to, to people on the street. And regardless of how you feel about how all of this has kind of played out, one thing is clear. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's so clear that these words from Ephesians are just as relevant today as ever. And so Paul begins describing their division uh, in verse 11 with this image of circumcision. And then in verse 12, he continues with a few more images. So he goes on to write, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And so the images that Paul uses here are those of nation, family, and temple. Nation, family, and temple. And these are are core, really important images uh, throughout the whole story of of Scripture, and and especially we see this as it begins developing in the Old Testament. It starts with family, whenever God calls Abraham and promises him descendants like the stars, right? It's this promise of family. This is the beginning of the covenants of promise. But but then that family grows and grows, and and eventually through Moses, God gives them instructions for building a tabernacle, uh, sort of the precursor to the temple. And that symbolizes God's presence in the world, in their midst. And then finally, you know, as they travel with that tabernacle through the wilderness, they reach the promised land where they become a nation, and they appoint a king, and they live there. Right? This is the story of Israel. It's a nation, and it's a family, with the temple of God in their midst. And this is the story that Paul is saying that Gentiles have been excluded from. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to this family of promise. They had no hope. They did not have God in their midst. 
Without Christ, there's no equality. Without Christ, there, there is no belonging. Without Christ, there is no hope. And I think it's important to note as we read this that, that this is us, right? We are the Gentiles. I mean, unless you have a Jewish heritage somewhere, maybe, but, but for the most part, you know, we are the Gentiles who without Christ have nowhere to belong and no hope for the future, right? And just like last week, we were talking about being dead in sin. This image of division uh, between people and, and society can just feel really hopeless. I mean, even just considering the tension and the hostility in our society today, we can just feel so hopeless. What do we even do? Just like last week, in the midst of the hopelessness, we got to verse 4, said, but God. Well, this week, in the midst of a divided world, we get to verse 13, and it says, but in Christ. But now in Christ. So let's read it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so for these next several verses, Paul describes what reconciliation looks like. And what exactly does he say? Right? He says, but now in Christ, you all need to get your act together and stop fighting. No. He doesn't say that. In fact, throughout these verses, Paul doesn't say anything about what we should do. Instead, over and over and over again, he says what Jesus has done. Jesus is the subject of all of the verbs in these verses. He is the one who has brought us near. He is the one who has made two groups into one. He is the one who has broken down the dividing wall that is our hostility. He is the one who has created a new humanity. He is the one who reconciles both groups to God. He is the one who came and proclaimed peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far. He is the one who has given us access in the one spirit to the Father. Jesus is the one who does all of this. And this is underscored in verse 14 when it says, He is our peace. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Peace is not merely something that is accomplished by Christ. Peace is Christ. And this is the difference, I think, between self-help spirituality and Christian faith. Because one of them looks for peace through various practices and, and methods and, and different things. You know, if you can get your hand on enough books or, or, or methods or, or ideas, then, then you can find peace. But the other looks for peace, not through all of these different methods or, or ideas, but in the person of Jesus. I think this is also the difference between social justice movements 
and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Social justice movements have a vision for the world, but they lack the power to change it. All too often, modern-day social justice just looks like confronting one wall of hostility with another wall of hostility. But only Christ can break down the dividing wall of hostility. Only Christ can create a new humanity. Christ does not just accomplish peace. Christ is our peace. And this means that peace actually has very little to do with our circumstances. You know, I, I've said this before, but, but I'll say it again. Peace is not the absence of chaos and conflict. Rather, peace is the presence of Jesus. Peace is not the absence of chaos and conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ. So that means that even when the whole world seems to be falling apart, we can still be at peace. And we can still carry the peace of God into all the chaos. Christ is our peace. And we see this much more explicitly when we look at how it is that he has dealt with our division and our hostility. Throughout the passage, uh, we can see the various ways that Jesus has actually dealt with all of this. Uh, it says he has done this by his blood, in his flesh, and through the cross. Jesus has dealt with our hostility by his blood, in his flesh, and through the cross. So let's consider each one of these. First, by his blood. Right? Jesus' blood cleanses us from the sin of our hostility toward one another. Throughout the Old Testament sacrificial system, blood is this cleansing agent. It's sort of like spiritual Clorox. Right? They sprinkle it around the altar and the temple in order to cleanse it, uh, and to, to cleanse this holy space of God. And so on the cross, Jesus' blood cleanses us of our sin. Jesus' blood cleanses us of the hostilities that we have committed. And so the hostilities we have committed can be forgiven. And the hostilities that we've experienced can be healed. By the cleansing of his blood, we no longer have to live with the anger and bitterness or with hostility and harm. By his blood, we are forgiven, free, we're made clean. So this is the first way that he has dealt with the hostility. By his blood, he has cleansed us. But the passage also says that he has dealt with it in his flesh. Now, we've often been taught that on the cross, Jesus took on God's anger in our place. But that's not the picture that Paul is, is painting for us here in this passage. Here's what Paul says. In his flesh, 
He has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. So rather than taking on God's anger, Paul describes Jesus as taking on our hostility. And this is actually a much more literal understanding. After all, Jesus quite literally bore our hostility in his flesh. It was humanity that put Jesus on the cross. Right? Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The Jews framed him. And the Romans actually crucified him. It was all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile, that put Jesus on the cross. And so the crucifixion has exposed this hostility that lives in our hearts. And Jesus has taken on that hostility in his flesh. He has borne all of this hostility and anger that we have. He has taken that on in his flesh. And so finally, we get to through the cross. There's another phrase that, that Paul uses here. So, so his blood cleanses us from the sin of our hostility. And his flesh took on the violence of our hostility. And the cross shows us a way to live other than hostility. The cross shows us that there is a way of self-sacrifice rather than self-promotion. It shows us a way of reconciliation rather than revenge. The cross shows us a way of peace rather than hostility. Just imagine if we lived that way, how the world might be transformed. And so Paul has identified our divisions. And then he's gone through and explained some of the ways that Christ has dealt with them. And so now it's, it's finally time for some instructions and commands, right? No. His words are not, therefore you should, but rather in verse 19, so then you are. So then you are. Paul does not conclude by giving instructions, rather by announcing identity. He doesn't say, so then you should. He says, so then you are. And he picks back up the same three images that he had earlier. Nation, family, and temple. Right? So because of what Christ has done, he writes, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now you're citizens. You are members of the household of God. You are a holy temple in the Lord. So let's consider each of these a little bit more. First, citizens, right? right? He picks back that image of nation from earlier. Citizenship implies a sense of dignity and participation, right? When you're a citizen, you have the ability and the right to participate in society. Each person has dignity. No more racial and gendered divisions like circumcision. In Christ, 
Paul writes elsewhere, the sign of circumcision has been replaced with the sign of baptism, which is accessible to everyone, Jew and Gentile, male and female. All of these are of equal worth and value in God's kingdom. All of these are invited to participate fully in God's people. But then second, he uses the image members of the household, right? And this picks back up that image of family from earlier. And this image goes deeper than the one of nation, because there's not only basic dignity and participation for each person, there's love and belonging for everyone, right? Family, the household, it invokes this idea of hospitality, of a warm welcome. And we practice this together each week when we gather around the table of communion. Jesus destroyed the dividing wall and instead has given us a gathering table where all are welcome, where everyone belongs, that everyone is welcome to this family meal. And so we are citizens and we are members of this household. And then finally, he goes on to say that, that we are a holy temple, right? And this picks back up another one of those images from earlier, the temple, the place where God dwells in the world. But here's the thing, the temple is not a place where we go, right? If we haven't learned anything from this year, we have to learn that. The temple is not a place where we go. Rather, it is a people who we are. And this temple is not yet finished being built. Isn't that what the passage says? It is growing. It's being built. Which means that, that sometimes things are still going to be a little messy. Have you ever been to a construction site? Dusty, messy, all kinds of hazards, right? This is what being a part of this ongoing construction project of the kingdom of God is. It's messy, but we are being built into a temple, a holy temple together. And we are being filled with the presence of Christ, who is himself our peace. And so as, as we come to a close, I want to offer you a few questions to reflect on. So we just reflect back over this passage. So the first question is, you know, what, what is our dividing wall of hostility? You know, Paul describes some divisions among the people that he was writing to. But I'm wondering, what, what, what are ours? What is our dividing wall? Now, I, I know most of you, and, and I, I don't think any of you guys really have a, a really big hostile spirit. I haven't experienced that. I think that, that we're all pretty, pretty nice, good, kind people. But I wonder sometimes... If our wall is not hostility, but that, that makes us kind of run to and confront other people, 
but rather just kind of a wall of niceness that keeps us from pursuing other people because we're just comfortable. How can we get past that wall and become people who are more open, ready to pursue others? What is our dividing wall? Another question to consider, what kind of peace are we working toward? Is it the kind of peace that we can accomplish? The kind of peace that we can sort of, you know, put on some sort of a chart or, or graph or board and say, hey, look at what, what we've done. Because that's the kind of peace that the world wants. But peace is not just something to be accomplished. Peace is Christ. What does it look like for us to live with that kind of peace? The peace that's not just checking off boxes, accomplishing tasks, but living in the presence of Christ, no matter what's going on around us. What kind of peace are we working toward? And then finally, the question I want to leave you with is, you know, of all these images that Paul is using, you know, which one do we need to most hold on to or grow in? Right? You've got citizenship family, a temple. And, and I just want to say real quick, I, I want to use this opportunity to say some encouragement. You know, uh, citizenship has to do with dignity and participation. And man, this church is really good at involving all people, men, women, everyone gets to participate fully in the leading of our worship and the service that we do. I love this. You know, or the image of family. Man, this church is such a hospitable people. I know that I've experienced that. I think many of you also have experienced that. And then there's that, that image of the temple being a place where God dwells. You know, I, th I think this church is a, is a people who love to worship even as we've had to overcome it with technology in different ways, we still love to worship together. And so these are all images that, man, I think we're living into. But what are the ways we can grow? What are the ways that we can continue to become citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's household, this growing temple that is holy? My hope for us is that we can be a people who are not merely at peace with each other or with the world around us, but even more than that, a people who carry the presence of Christ, who is our peace, with us. That we wouldn't just be nice, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God in all the things that we do. Our, our goal should not merely be avoiding conflict, but rather to live in the presence and the reality of Christ, to live in our identity as citizens, saints, family members, a holy temple in Christ who is our peace. May it be so. Amen.